Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and sitting across from me is, is my good buddy, Mike Hallford. Mike, what's going on? Dmitry, thank you very much for having me on the PDO Cast. Very excited to be here. Yes, now that we have the uh, proper alignment in my living room, <laughs> we, uh, we recorded a first intro where we were sitting uh, too close to each other, I think, and my producer always freaks out about it was Mike's still, picking each other up. It was still a really good intro, though. I think yeah. we knocked it out of the park. It was better than this one, yeah. but we'll, we'll make do. Um, so I'm having you over... Uh, to help me do a deep dive on the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. Um, honestly, at this point, it feels more like an autopsy, sort of. It is legitimately an autopsy. And it's been a two-year autopsy. It's yes. been going on for quite a while. Yeah. So I, I've done a lot of these with various guests for different teams over the season, and we've kind of been focusing on what's going on this year. But I think at this point, it's fair for us to just maybe think like bigger picture or where this team's going moving forward rather than what's going to happen in the final nine or ten. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as exciting as the stretch drive is going to be. I know. We should probably do like a sort of overarching look at yes. where this franchise yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess this is a good place to start. Um, where were you when you found out that Jim Benning was one of the big winners of this year's trade deadline? Do you remember, do you remember where you were? Yeah, I was, I, I was at home and I got wind through various channels that the Burroughs deal was close. Mm-hmm. I was working on Pro Hockey Talk, fantastic yes. website. Yes. Uh, we'll, get in, we'll get more into that later. <laughs> Don't worry, I haven't, I haven't forgotten. And I remember thinking, oh, this might actually be coming to fruition. Like this, we, Jason, who I work with at Pro Hockey Talk and I on the radio show, mm-hmm. we had said, like, it would be amazing if Benning actually had the guile and the sort of like subterfuge to say all year that he was going to hold on to these guys with no trade clauses and keep these culture carriers yep. around and then flip the script ahead of the deadline too. Yep. So I got way into the Burroughs trade and, and I, you know, I'd heard he wasn't returning tax. So it was a pretty good indication that he was gone. I'm like, okay, great. So, you know, phase one is complete. And then when the Hanson trade came down, it was, again, I had, I had logged off pro hockey talk for the night. We're doing pretty long hours during the deadline, everyone. Yeah. But ju- and it was the same thing. I got another text message. Like it was about five minutes before Hanson got pulled from the lineup. Like, Hanson's got pulled. We don't know what's going on. Like yada yada yada. So at this point, I'm thinking, unless Benning bottles 
the Hanson trade. He's going to walk out of here yep. as the deadline winner. And I wasn't ready to live in a world where Jim Benning was about to win something which was awarded yes. to good GMs. Like I just, I wasn't prepared for it. So I, it took about a full day for it to like sink in and comprehend that he had actually orchestrated this and quite masterfully too. Cause yep. he, the big thing that we said was, you know, trade Hanson, trade bros, but also get out in front of the deadline. Like don't be Ken Holland with a slightly used Thomas Vanek two hours before the deadline. Right? Yes. Like get out in front of it. Yep. So it was really impressive, and I'm still kind of stunned that it happened. Well, especially after just the entire debacle that was last year, right? Like, I was I was just waiting for them to make up all these excuses after the fact of, like, you know, we couldn't get enough. We still think yeah. Hanson's a part of this core. Like, you know, Burroughs, we're just going to play it out and see if maybe he comes back. Like, it's like, yeah. but he actually... Good stuff. I, I was I was blown away, honestly, yeah. because uh, we've talked a lot about GMs that have a plan and then orchestrate it, and that like is is a big part of. I think it's not necessarily if the plan works out; it's that if if you have one and you kind of set the wheels in motion and execute it, that's something because mm-hmm. it shows that you have a vision. Now, the yeah. vision might be shitty, but right. you know, like Jim Nil with the goaltending situation in Dallas, yeah, but. Jim, I remember when he pulled it off, it was like, this is what we want to do. This is who we want to target. It was, And then when the chairs moved on him, when it was supposed to be Cam Talbot, yep. and he couldn't, and then it had to be Niemi, things happened, right? Yes. They moved. So for this, with the Canucks, I was like, this is very much like how Steve Eiserman plays chess when other guys are playing checkers, yes. right? It's yep. like he, he knows how to manipulate things to get what he wants to get done. And I mean, I think, you know, I don't... I don't know how much negotiations Benning had to do with the Burroughs trade, but I imagine it was a bit of a sticky situation because yeah. there was a lot of moving parts to it. It wasn't just getting him to wave to go to a different city. It was getting an extension in place, getting the right asset in return. And I don't know how big of a market there was for Burroughs. I, I, I genuinely don't. Right. Yeah. So to pull off what he pulled off, I, you know, it's, it is markedly impressive. I think I've already mentioned that, but I still, to this day, yeah. I'm still like, this is, this is a good thing. Well, that's the interesting thing about um, where we're at with Jim Benning right now, because like the big point of contention for for myself and many others out there has been, you know, he was billed as this sort of master scout or, mm-hmm. or talent evaluator, especially like in, for young players coming up the ranks as opposed to maybe pro guys. But he never really he was sort of like handcuffing himself this entire time because he was just like they Absolutely. were constantly drafting fewer players than even they're still like they're trading away more picks and they were acquiring which yeah. always there was like a weird imbalance between them oh it's like a, it's like a, po- a a star poker player going to the table with like as few chips as possible yeah. it's like bring more to the table get more <laughs> picks like we and jason and i would talk about it for weeks on end on the show it's like i don't understand even if unless you're like completely disconnected or detached with what you are as a talent evaluator yep. how you would not think like my strengths are scouting I could utilize those strengths at the draft. I would need picks at the draft to pull mm-hmm. on it. Just, it didn't make any sense. I do think that you know um, there was a mandate in Vancouver that went beyond unearthing talent in the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds, and it right. was very much trying to appease an ownership group that is you know on a good day meddlesome and on a bad day right in your grill and screwing things up. Yeah, uh, I. I do think that the Linden influence has skewed what the organization wants to do with the Sedins because mm-hmm. I think the the Linden paradigm with all this is like you respect the veteran guy and the guys that mean a lot to the city and it goes beyond the ice. And that's great. Those are all like nice syrupy narratives and everything. Yep. But, um, you know, you, you're looking at a, a business and an industry now where it's like you need to make cold hearted, calculated decisions, especially in a salary cap era. And that doesn't really jive with what they're doing. Hmm. I think finally... 
and maybe this was if Benning was deft enough to slow play it is that he slow played to this point where it's like look this thing is past the point of no return you can see it's there's like tangible results on the ice that we suck so we need to start moving this in a different direction while you know with the limited sort of draft picks and everything I did manage to bring in some halfway decent assets yeah so if anything best case scenario you can say is all this sort of like tripping over himself and the slow playing probably knocked him back a year and a half two years on where their rebuild should have been yeah i think if betting had carte blanche coming in right away he probably would have gutted it he probably would have stockpiled draft picks and he probably would have tried to get more young guys in the door yeah but there was that i think i think he also believed that there was a softness in the market where there was guys aged like 22 to 25 that were available yeah that he could go and get I me mean, and everyone knows who they are now and some of them have worked out barchi's an okay pickup mm-hmm. granlin's been good but yep. You don't build that way. Like, you just don't. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can if you already have, like, the foundational pieces in place and you're kind of supplementing them. Right. But That's what you're going to find at that point. No one's giving away a foundational 22 to 25-year-old. Yeah. They just don't come available. You're going to get some nice, you know, secondary assets or maybe a guy like Granlund who might end up being more than even you thought he was going to yeah. be. But. You know, I also think that that, you know, again, I'm probably giving Jim Benning way too much credit here for being sly and sleuth and everything. <laughs> but I do believe part of it was like, in order to get everyone on board, you know, you kind of have to hit rock bottom before you can start getting back up. And that's where they were this year. I mean, right. you know, the, briefly flirting with the playoffs was everyone knew that it was a mirage. It was going to go away. Yeah, I guess the, you could, the counter you can make is like the, the tricky situation with that is like, if things really bottom out, you could be the one that pays the price for that. And then well, all of a sudden absolutely. you're not there to I actually mean, do what you wanted to do in the first place. I know I talk, we talk about that a lot on the show. It's like these guys GM for their jobs a lot of the time. Yeah. Like there's not a ton of security or if you're like, I have a five year plan. The first question I'd say is like, how are you going to be around in the fifth year of this thing? You know, cause yeah. if it's four years of losing, you know, the, the goalposts change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use that expression a lot, but it does right. Yeah. You know, owners get tired of things or, you know, certain things happen. Prospects don't pan out like you think they're going to, uh, you know, other teams in your division make big moves. It's 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 stuff like that that can really change the round. So I, th- you know, if your owner tells you it's I want to make the playoffs this year as a GM, you're nine times out of ten, unless you've got some massive brass balls, you're going to say no. Okay, I'll, I'm going to do what I can to get you into the playoffs. Yeah. So we need to talk about this just because like we wouldn't be doing our due diligence on a Canucks deep dive if we didn't address it. But I also like. I mean, I want to put the disclaimer out there that you, neither you or I probably like know like too much behind the scenes stuff. It's kind of purely speculation on our part. But mm-hmm. you always hear about, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, like the ownership meddling and you have all these different voices with Benning and Linden and, and then the owners. And it's like, do you think that it really is just too many cooks in the kitchen where it's like all these people pulling in different directions? Because you always hear like mm-hmm. a, an organization like the San Antonio Spurs, like the gold standard in pro sports. Yeah. It's like everyone is like has the same plan and you execute yeah. it. And obviously you can you can chat like you can have good debates and back and forth. But ultimately you're like you have a unified front and it's been it's very a, spotty. It's a good question. I always bring up Tampa Bay when I bring it because when we were down there for the cup final in 15, I remember like spending a little bit of time in and around the circles of Jeff Vinnick. And he is the ideal owner because he's got a ton of money hmm. and he's, he, he's, he's embraced the community and the team, but he knows that he's not a hockey guy yeah. and he will freely admit it. And he's like, I hired a really good hockey guy, yes. right? That's why I hired Steve. Right. Steve makes really good decisions. Right. And that, that's an ideal, but it's, it's also not the reality because a guy like Vinick is probably, 
got the the foresight to realize like the stuff that makes me successful in all these other ventures doesn't necessarily translate over. Yeah. I don't think a lot of these guys, when they get to the heights that they do financially and with their success, are able to see that. Like they're just assuming that whatever made them successful in the business field is going to make them successful here. Yep. And it just doesn't work. You need to hire a guy and let him make the decisions. And then at at a certain point, you do need to be the guy that sits back and writes the checks. And that's probably tough. And in the case of the Aquilines, I guarantee it's difficult because they grew up here and they're entrenched in the community. And they, you know, and there's a certain look when these guys get to the money that they're making and the status that they have, there's big time ego involved. There's no way that there can't be. And for guys that just want to bring a cup to Vancouver, I think that can get skewed a lot because they're probably thinking somewhere along the lines, we've made a really successful in a lot of different ventures. Why don't we apply some of those practices here? But the reality of it is, is there probably are too many cooks and they still haven't really figured out how the delegation of media should work. Like Lyndon talks to the media a lot and Benning talks a lot. And inevitably, unless you stick to your talking points to a T, someone's going to go off script. Yep. And as soon as one of them goes off script, 1040 is all over it. The province is all over it. And then all of a sudden it's like we've got mixed messages from these guys. And they still haven't figured that out. Yeah. It's so, it's so funny. I mean, it, it seems like such a long time ago now. But, like, just comparing this current situation to the Gilman-Gillis dynamic. And I remember mm-hmm. even at the time there was fans here locally that were, you know, critical of them because of maybe the way they interact with the media sometimes or, or just, you know, how transparent they were or whatever but it's like you look back at it now it kind of just makes you wish for yeah for those well, golden days because <laughs> it was mike's show that was the thing like gilman like knew what he was where his strengths and weaknesses yep. were but he also knew like who was calling the shots like that was what made gilman a good right hand man yep. right there's no i mean you know i i understand why they brought linden in is like the, it, it was a good pr move and, you know, it'll even though he's like in a completely removed off ice role, there's still something there about bringing that connection back. And the other reason they brought him in and it was pretty evident after like two years listening to Benning talk is Benning's not suited to be doing the media thing a lot of the time. Yes. And there hasn't really even been an improvement. And some people think this stuff doesn't matter, but it does because you can't have your GM going out there and like. When's the last time a GM got fined for tampering? Like, when does this stuff happen, right? Like, he's just... And it's weird because you see other ex-NHL players and they transition really well to the GM thing because they know how to talk to the media. Bergevin's a good example. Eisenman's a good example. Linden is okay. He's much more charming and he's got a better persona to speak publicly. But still, I I shake my head sometimes where it's like, you guys need to talk less to get better talking points and to have one of you talk, not both of you. Yeah. yeah. You do you do always hear that from people that, that are quick to point out like there's a lot that goes into the job of being a GM more so than just figuring out like which players you want in your yeah. team. And um yeah, I've long had this kind of pet theory about Jim Benning where it's like he really doesn't do himself any favors because he could, in his head, be meaning really well and have this well-thought-out plan. But if you can't vocalize it to your fan base to, like, talk them off the ledge, yeah. you, keep, you keep saying, <laughs> like, like, and you're just like, you're, you're talking like this, like, surfer bro. Yeah, I know. Like, well, that's the thing. It's this very strange delivery <laughs> yeah. where it's like, I'm pretty sure you're, like, in your mid-50s, but you kind of have this, like, ah, oh, you know, well. And it's it's crazy to listen to. Yeah. Because you're like, this is a guy in charge of, you know, tens of millions, you know, up to 50 to $75 million worth of signing contracts and, you know, deciding a lot of guys' futures. And I'm sure he's much sharper when he doesn't have to be on for the for cameras or for microphones or anything. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it does kind of give you pause. It's like, this is the guy running the show. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's uh... So I think the next logical place for us to take this conversation is... Um, 
we constantly hear, especially over the past few years, some of the moves they made were because, you know, they, they were peddling this propaganda about how the fan base here wasn't ready for a full-on rebuild. And it's, it's, it's tough because Vancouver does get the, a, a bad rap about being a fair weather city. And mm-hmm. I think there's definitely something to that. I mean, as someone who lives here, like there's so many different things to do that I understand that, yeah. you know, if you're, li- if you're living like in a cold weather set- city out East, maybe and it's like minus 30 degrees and it's just snowing for like yeah, five right, months right, and right. you're just in the <laughs> house. Yeah, it's like, you're going to watch your, You're going to watch yeah. your team. Like that's all, like here. Okay. Fine. I'll go for a walk and hang out at the beach or something like, well, yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I've yet to find anyone that's really got their finger on the pulse of maker. And we've been doing the media thing here for like over 10 years now. And it's, it's very disjointed. And it's cause again, you've got, you've got downtown proper, which <laughs> as you've mentioned, there's a million different things to do. In Vancouver, and when you've got like Whistler, like a shot away, or if you're living downtown Vancouver, there's a million other things to do than hockey. Like, yeah, it was for sure. But the further you stretch out, and where you see it is like in the valley, and you know farther out regions where people are much more dialed in. Yep. But they're actually not like the ones that are like coming into downtown Vancouver to watch games there. But they're the most passionate and most informed. Often, people are the ones that are calling into like pre and post game shows, and the ones that are dying for information on the web, right? And it's it's made for this weird dynamic where. You've got a really vocal, really passionate, critical fan base of the team, but you've also got a lot of people that are like, wake me when they're good again, right? right? And and it's almost like a 50-50 thing. And it's not to say that there's not a passionate fan base that lives and dies with the team because there is, yes. but there's all because it's one show town. Like I think that's the biggest thing people don't realize mm-hmm. is it is Canucks all the way. I mean, we've been doing radio for a long time. Like, you don't talk anything other than Canucks. Yeah. That's it, right? I or mean, the Vancouver Canadians, single A's. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, the, like the Whitecaps are like still kind of a novelty. Yeah, and the Lions are like something that runs. Well, there was like summer. there was a year they were at Empire Field and they moved into the renovated BC right. place, but pretty much since. And like they they're totally disconnected with like a young demographic in their fan base. So yeah. really, it's like it's all Canucks all the time. You don't talk about basketball. You don't talk about the Raptors. You kind of talk about the Jays, but then you get that Toronto Vancouver thing. You kind of talk about the Mariners, but there's only a handful of people that really care. So it is all Canucks all the time. And that's kind of why you can have so many people tuned in and so many people dialed out. Is because mm-hmm. that's that's it. You've got one thing to follow, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like, you know, it's it's inevitable that people are going to not be interested right now. Yeah. You know, I understand that. But those people are going to come back regardless as soon as the team becomes good again. And you're still going to have a huge swath of people that are going to follow this thing regardless. Right. I mean, it just, the reason why there was just like this imbalance for me was like, I get that, you know, there might not be an appetite for it, but it's like, but who, is there an appetite for whatever is going on right now with this team? Like, I find that hard to believe as well, right? It's yeah, like, and, and that's kind of what I was getting at is it's like people, the people that are going to tune out are going to tune out. Yes. Like they're going to tune out if it's, like, if it's a down year or if they're not reinterested or there's something else to do. The people that are tuned in. I think unanimously, unanimously would probably be if they were you know cognizant, sharp hockey minds would be like, yeah, you got this is the way it's got to go. Yep. Is it's got to bottom out and you have to rebuild because one, you've seen the trends historically, and two, you just know that whatever it is you're putting out on the ice right now isn't good enough. So, yeah. you know, but it but it is that there that dynamic still exists where it's like, oh, there's not an appetite for it. It's like, well, yeah, some people don't want to watch a losing hockey team. Like, <laughs> yes. no shit, right? Yeah. Like that, that's pretty obvious. That, you know, there's going to be people that are like, why am I paying for this? Why am I investing any time into this? And that, that's more of a human nature thing. Right. But again, I think people that are deeply vested in this team are saying, yeah, this needs to happen. And it probably should have happened a while ago. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy because I've, 
you know, I'm not I'm not a fan of the team anymore. I have to be the, an objective yeah, journalist. Right. <laughs> but like, if you told me five years ago, like Dimitri, you have a, a press pass and you can go to every single game, and I would and and then I, I would I would come back to you and be like, you know what? No, I'm good. I'm going to stay yeah. home and maybe flip <laughs> right. some channels, watch some Game Center live. Like I I only go to games if like I have a specific sure. meeting or an interview or if I'm going to be on like the broadcast or something. Like I'm not going there just to watch a game, and that's that's crazy to me because like. I love hockey. So like the baseline level for me to be interested in the product yeah. is pretty like is pretty low. Yeah. But I mean there's uh, just no like other than Bo Horvat who's been blow, blew away my expectations in terms of just the like dynamic offensive skill he's presented so far. Beyond that, like there's just very little reason to tune in or go to the game. Yeah. And I don't blame people for checking. I out. don't either. I, and, and it's, I don't really think it's that big of an issue. It's yeah. like, I've, we've, you've seen this throughout the NHL. I mean, you know, do you, I remember when we first started doing the media thing was right when the Blackhawks got Kane and Taves. I remember distinctly talking to the guys that run second city hockey. Um, I think they're SB nation. Yep. Okay, anyway, they've been doing it for years and they would say like, you have no idea how bad these crowds were. Yeah. Before these guys got here, there was eight thousand people in there, and this is an original six team with a huge history, and it was just dormant and dead. Yeah. And, and like, who remembers that now, right? Now, obviously, that's the extreme situation because right. they've since become like a modern day dynasty. But this stuff is cyclical. Like, and, and, but you know what? Living in it is you kind of have to address. It. Like, you can't be like, ah, oh, this is just a thing that'll pass. Like. You could say that about anything, right? So you yep. do have to kind of be like, oh, people aren't in the stomach mode for a rebuild and, you know, apathies at an all-time high. And it's like, yeah, but this is also cyclical. Like, if you if you go on a run where you're awful for 10 years, like the Oilers were, then I would say maybe you've got some problems because I'm not sure what that looks like in yes. Vancouver now, right? Like, well, I mean, honestly... 10 years of that is worth one Connor McDavid. So. Right. Well, and that's, the, and that's the thing, right? It's like Edmonton finally got yes. rewarded. You just have to wait. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, I don't know. It's it's interesting whenever we talk about the city because it's like everyone seems to think that they've got their finger on the pulse of the city. But the one thing I'm, always, I'm like, I never do. Like, yeah. You know, because it, it, it's very dynamic and it's like, it, like things change in a hurry here. and People's interests change in a hurry here. But it's also if there's one common thing that I've seen, it's like when people get into something, they're over the top into it, right? Yes. I mean, that's two riots in an Olympics later, right? Yes. So that's kind of the one trend that I've seen. So I would imagine that as soon as the Canucks eventually get back on an upswing, you'll just see all that stuff spike again. Yeah, and that's, that's what I always tell people. Like, it's it's a shame that for many reasons that the riot captures all the uh, attention and, and, and headlines. But, like, I remember just a few weeks before that when they beat, finally got over the hump and beat the Blackhawks in that first round in the Game 7 overtime. Mm-hmm. Like, the city was just as euphoric as you could possibly imagine. Yeah. It was like everyone was just giving out high fives and just so happy. And it's like that this, cause the city is definitely capable of, uh, of supporting a team and being that excited oh, yeah, and, and, and that rabid about it. Like, so it, I guess it is a bit of a fair weather city because people are checking out, but I think that, you know, it's, it's like that pretty much anywhere. I feel like. Yeah, no, I would, I would absolutely agree. It's, it's got, I mean, there, you could write like an entire book on just the Boston series and then what transpired afterwards. But so many things played into one another, and there was a lot of like extenuating circumstances involving like security and police and everything that allowed that to happen. But at the end of the day, 
the one thing you can argue is that like when people get behind this thing, they get behind this thing. Yeah. It's almost like their ability to stay away is like <laughs> equal to their ability to get the deep dive right into Recharging into their batteries yeah. ready to go. Um, let's, uh, let's pay some bills in here from a sponsor and then we'll, uh, we'll get back with this discussion. We have pretty loyal listeners who generally know what's up and, and how we do it here in the Hockeypedia cast. So they already know all this. But for those of you that may have just randomly stumbled upon the show for the first time, in which case, where have you been all along? I mean, we've done over 150 episodes by now. Uh, or those of you that don't have your hands free at the moment and can't skip ahead a couple times to this ad like you normally do. And, and I don't blame you for that. I do that myself when I listen to podcasts. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about SeatGeek, who's sponsoring today's show. With their easy-to-use mobile app and online interface, they make it more convenient than ever before to get your hands on some tickets, whether they be for sporting events, to watch your favorite hockey team play, or to a concert for whatever act is in town that night. Uh, in just a couple clicks, they do all the groundwork for you, search an internet high and low to compare prices, and find you the best deals out there. To get your own $20 rebate on tickets, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter the promo code PDO and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. So all you got to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today and you'll get $20 off. Now let's get back to the show. Okay. Um, so the elephant in the room, uh, the Sedins. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I get asked this a lot by people if I do like radio hits or, or different podcasts it's yeah me you know, too <laughs> what are <laughs> what are like what would you do uh, if you were in charge of the Canucks and it's such an interesting uh, situation because you know from an analytical just cold-blooded calculated perspective it's like yeah you should probably try and trade the city while you can and retain mm-hmm. some value and you know hopefully use whatever those pieces are to for the next wave of when this team's ready to compete. But at the same time, it's like just ha- having lived here and having seen, you know, guys like Burray and Nasland and Linden just playing out the, the end yeah. of their careers on wearing foreign uniforms, just looking super weird. Like I, I, I completely get the argument where it's like, just let these guys finish their careers here, especially considering like how entrenched they are in the community mm-hmm. with like all the charity work you do and everything yeah. like that. Like, so it's, it's such a tough situation. Uh, I think, and I don't think it's the best solution, but I think the best scenario is that they announced that this is their last year that they're going to retire. And then you just let them play out the year. Cause yeah. Uh, you, I don't think you want to go down the road of trying to negotiate an extension on July one when yeah. they're eligible to do it. Um, because I don't think that that's in the I don't think it's in the best interest for them or for the Canucks. I mean, do they want to continue playing? If that's the case, that's maybe a conversation that they can have after they finish yes. here. But what you do is if, if they say this is our last year, you know, et cetera, et cetera, is you, you, you take the one big thing, which I think would be terrible for their final years. If they went through their entire final year in Vancouver with the looming specter of are you going to wave? Your no trade clauses to get moved at the deadline. Yes, right. You don't. I mean, that would be Matt Sundin in Toronto. I was going to say, ironically, that would be. Yeah, that's exactly what it would be, and it would be it would be terrible for them to have to answer that because I mean, it would be like again in Colorado this year. Like for the last four months of his time there, that's the only question that he got. Yeah, no one wanted to ask him anything else, and you know, Colorado again is a lot different situation than Vancouver Sedins. I, you know, now having said this. I do think that it is going to be a very unpleasant final year because there's going to, and rightfully so, is there's going to be critics that are going to be saying, this is just taking two spots away from two younger guys that, you know, could maybe utilize those minutes to further enhance their careers. 
Uh, monetarily, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference because they're going to stink next year anyway, and I don't think cap's going to be a huge problem. Right. There's going to be the culture angle of it is that that's the Sedin's room really until it's not. Right. I, but maybe they've got the ability to pull back and pass the torch a little bit, but all that stuff kind of seems like secondary, almost tertiary to the big thing, which is like, if you can kind of come up with some resolute answer before going into the season, it'll be a lot easier on everybody. Right. And then you can do the Derek Jeter season long going away party, right? Like no one's done it in the NHL yet. Really? So, well, I think, so here's the interesting uh, thing going on here is like, I still think the Sedins are good. Uh, which is makes it different than the Jeter situation or the Ginla situation. Right. And it's it's they're not like listen, they don't have their fastball anymore. Uh, they definitely can't do it on a night in night out basis right. like they used to. And you know maybe there was a time where you could put a Jason Magna with him and they just still make him look <laughs> yeah, good and he right. just randomly become a twenty goal scorer right, and get right, paid right, because yeah. the Sedins were that good. Yeah, uh, but they clearly can't do that anymore. Like we saw it, like just the the grind of this season, but. If you look at them on the right night, mm-hmm. they still got it, especially like down low, just working their passing sure. in the cycle. And and I think that, you know, if they went to a team where they could be on like a second line where they there were stars oh, ahead of them and they could yeah. just kill it on the power play and just they'd be amazing pickups yes. for a team. Um, if you could if there was a team out there that could somehow work the cap and stash guys on long term injury reserve and get the Sedins in, yeah. they would be ideal pickups at the deadline because you wouldn't really need to assimilate them into the team because there's two of them and they, that's two thirds of a line right there. Yeah. Like you just need to put a Jason Megna out there <laughs> with them. But no, seriously, like, I mean, from a, from a logical standpoint, it does make sense. Yeah. Like, but again, but then you get into it. It's like, do you want to see Mike Medano wearing a Red Wings uniform? Do you want to see Matt Sundin wearing a Canucks yeah. uniform? Like, and especially with the Sedins, like I'll go to the wall for the two of them. Like, I don't think... And this is one thing that I will hammer this city for is this city's never really fully embraced how truly unique and lucky and special this is. Mm-hmm. Like, aside from the fact that, you know, one won a heart trophy and I was nominated for one. Yeah. The the statistical anomaly of having like two redheaded twin brothers from like a tiny town in Sweden, yeah. you know, get to the heights that they got to. And also being able to play together. Which, like, remember going back to the draft, no one was really sure that anyone would be able to orchestrate it, right? Like, yep. would they ever be able to play together? Like, everyone, a lot of people just assumed that they'd go their own separate ways, right? So for them to carry over that magic into a city for as long as they have, like, they should be on par with some of the great athletes in the great cities that they're synonymous with, it, yep. right? And it's obviously now winning a championship is going to play into that. And I think their personalities as well, right? Like, they had to kind of, like, assimilate to Vancouver. It wasn't the other way around. Like, uh, you, you go to – every time I've been to Pittsburgh and Lemieux, it's like Pittsburgh assimilated itself to Mario Lemieux. Like, they – like, right. whatever Mario kind of wanted to do, Pittsburgh was all about it, right? It's the inverse here. But and that's understandable. You know, Lemieux's a generational player. Mm-hmm. But – the, I just feel like at the end of the day, you know, a lot of anchorettes are going to look back and be like, we should have appreciated them more. We should have acknowledged like how fantastic they were more like th- across the board. And then I'm not even getting into the off ice stuff with like the incredibly good people. Like yes. I had the privilege of being around them a couple of times, like a, a, very good people. But I'm just talking about the pure on ice stuff. Like yeah. it's just you're not going to see it again ever. I, 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 and I'm confident saying that you will never see that stuff again. Ever. And I think that it's not even like fans in Vancouver. I think it's just NHL fans around the For world. Sure. Like I feel yeah. like 
you know, they just haven't been appreciated nearly as much as they, as they deserve. Yeah. I mean, like when when they were fully rolling those couple of years there, like I mean, like that was the last game of the season when uh, when when Daniel Sedin won the scoring race and he like, yeah. scored that goal like between his legs. Oh, the one the against Calgary. Like, yeah, like, come no. on, like who? Like no one is doing that when like, they were in their when they were in their prime. Yeah, I remember we, when we went down to San Jose for the 2011 Western Conference Final, and we went as fans. We just we bought a bunch of tickets and we went. Yeah. We were doing the curtain blog at the time, but. And I remember everyone in San Jose being like, these guys are goddamn unstoppable. Like, and that was the one where they feasted on the power clip yeah. the whole time, right? Yeah. And it was just like, like they're like, I, you, you cannot stop them, right? And, yeah. the, you know, another thing, too, and a lot of people overlook this, is like, you, you spend your entire career dominating in Vancouver. A lot of people don't see you. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just a lot of writers back east, and I know this for a fact, that aren't staying up until 10 o'clock to watch a puck drop, right? right. They're not staying up until 1 o'clock in the morning to watch it finish, right? And to to do it, to do that, I mean, just look at a lot of the MVP voting a lot of the time. A lot of the voting for a lot of the awards, like guys in the West just inherently... And I'm not breaking any news here or anything, but to do it in Vancouver, which isn't sort of one of the quote-unquote marquee West Coast markets, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's fa- it's amazing that... They, and that probably plays into why they didn't get the accolades that they did. Well, I mean, that's why Drew Doughty got a lifetime achievement. That's right. Just, yeah, you just give him <laughs> you one. Break the, yeah. <laughs> and you give him one at the end of his career, and you say, okay, Drew Doughty, here you go. Yes. Um, yeah, man, the Sedin's... Uh, it's uh, the other thing I should point out. I was looking at this earlier. Um, you know, for all the credit we gave Jim Benning for the trade deadline he had and what he was able to get back for guys like Burroughs and Hansen, it's going to be tougher to trade them now because having retained salary on Hansen, they can only, they can't retain salary yeah. on both the cities. So it's going to be very tough to. I, I can't imagine there's gonna be too many contenders that'll be able to fit both guys. I like you know? honestly, like from a logical and sort of like, oh, this works perspective, yep. trading them is there, yep. but it's just like honestly, like I just don't see it. Like I think even the most cutthroat, ruthless front offices will have a soft spot at some points. Like we're not talking about Bill Belichick like getting rid of Vince Wilfork like a day after winning the Super Bowl, yes. right? Like I, I feel like this is there's there's something more intrinsic here where they're like, oh, you know, we, we should give these guys the send off they deserve. And then, you know, to your point, I do think there's a way that you can knock their minutes down to maybe like 14 a night yeah. and pick your spots a little bit more judiciously and not rely on them as heavily as you are. And you can go through a year like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they can still give you glimpses. And they could probably provide some good moments. And then at the end of the year, everyone kind of takes a bow. And, and that's, it's like, it's like getting a C plus, like you, you didn't knock it out of the park, but it ended okay. Yeah. And, it, and I really do think that's the best scenario right now. I do. I, they, they've tried and God bless them. They've tried to make this thing work for the Sedins. But even as their, their staunchest defender, I'll say like, you can't keep doing it. Yeah. Eventually it's got to move. And it's, it, it's the, it's honestly depressing. Like it's 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 tough because as depressing as it would be, you mentioned like some of the guys, the former greats we've seen playing it out in different jerseys. It's also kind of equally depressing seeing them just kind of play it out loyally here because yeah. it's like this team is just not going anywhere and they still have a bit to contribute and like seeing them raise a Stanley Cup would be pretty cool even if it was in a different. I game. would love that. I mean, the trade scenario. The other thing too is you know if you're talking about it like when would you actually orchestrate that kind of deal? It would almost have to be in the off season. Right. I mean, you think about going into the season then being like, here's 14 million in a combined <laughs> cap hit that you need to take on. Like, good luck trying to figure that out. Right? Yeah. 
Um, but there is part of me that would like to see it. There's, there's no doubt about it. Cause I do think that every now and again, you get those moments where, you know, guys go somewhere else and they actually, it's very rare. That's the other thing I should bring up too. Like for every Ray Bork in Colorado, there's a lot of guys that have tried to latch themselves on at the end to make a cup run. It just doesn't work out. Yeah. Right. Um, Pretty much every player that's ever played for the Red Wings. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. There was a lot that hitched their wagon to that thing, right? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and, and more recently, there's a couple of guys that have tried to do it with Chicago, right? Yes. And, and you know, it's almost like the years that you come aboard are the years that it doesn't work. So mm-hmm. yeah, Pittsburgh's the same thing. Again, I mean, when Ginla went there, right? Yep. I mean, that was supposed to be a slam dunk. And it doesn't often work out. I, again, but I, and I mentioned this earlier, the wild card with Zadines is you're literally buying a line, right? Mm-hmm. You just put a semi-competent winger out there with them, and all of a sudden the entire dynamic of your team changes. I think that would be incredibly enticing and might shift the scales a little bit, but remains yep. to be seen. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll be talking about this a lot in the in the weeks and months and I would imagine to come. Um, so. I want to talk a little bit about Eric Goodbranson. Uh, it seems like a very ni- yeah. niche topic. It's like, <laughs> I was it's like say, this is someone, someone, it's right, someone right now, <laughs> someone right now in Carolina is like, why would anyone ever say we need to? T-? That was the worst segue <laughs> I ever. I need to talk. We about need Eric to talk Branson. about Eric Branson, but because we were talking about Benning's trade deadline, and I, the thing that I was most interested to see what he would do never really got to play out because Goodbranson got injured, so yeah. it kind of just took him off the hook for now and bought him some time to figure it out. It sure did. Um, so what he's, I think he's like turning 26. He's an RFA. Now he's due for a contract extension. And I think if Benning, you know, if we're giving him credit for really turning the corner here or actually knowing what he's doing, he'd look at it and say, you just sometimes got to accept that you made a bad move and, yeah. and kind of accept a sunk cost. And it's a bit of an ego killer, but it's probably better than, doubling down and being like, well, we're going to give Gary Branson five years and 25 million to find out. And that's the risk, right? Is it's like, and he's got a built in excuse to do it. Cause he's like, well, we didn't really get to see all of Eric Branson yeah. this year. And, you know, we really think that he has, hasn't scratched the ceiling of his potential yet in Vancouver. And all those things are out there. That is a dangerous contract. That's the most dangerous one that they have this summer mm-hmm. in terms of negotiations is they, they need to, if they're going to keep him around and it's <laughs> they need to give him like a three year term on like third pairing money. So <laughs> three years, six million. I'm like, and if you're a good branch, you're like, well, why would I take this? Yes. Like, there's, there's no point. Right. But that's what they need to do. Because the other thing too, is like, you can't have him blocking someone else on your blue line. Right. Yes. You can't carve out a niche for him. And then have it come at the expense of someone that needs the minutes or needs more ice time or does basically whatever he does. And I mean, look, I do, I do think there's a, a lingering concern that Benning might not be done with the, you know, let's keep trying to build like the, the, Evan- the Evander Kane thing. Just keep it's it's hung in the air for too long, like too much longer than I would have liked it. Mm. Like it just, you know, and Kane is putting up. He, he's actually done the uh, the two years out from uh, unrestricted free yes. agency. He's realized like right. I got to do this two years out instead. Mm. And so I mean, there, there's something there that I think I think that they feel like they've got enough pieces on defense that they could move one, and then they still consider Goodbranson being a quote unquote core guy. And I think it's a huge mistake. I, I think you're 100 percent right. Where it's like you just need to bite the bullet on this one and be like, we gave up too much. Yeah. Um, we thought we were one team, and now we're a different team. And Gabranson represents 
everything that would be wrong. Because if you're going to keep him, it's almost guaranteed you're going to pay him too much money or you're going to give him too much term. Like, unless his agent does a really lousy job on it. And if you're the Canucks, you just can't afford to sink a ton in into this guy. Like you can't. Mm. And again, it's it's partly uh, a rip on his play, but it's also partly like you know the the teams. It's changed dramatically right. in the last year. Things have changed dramatically. I mean, it was just a miscalculation. Year. It was. Yeah. yeah, I think that they saw a bright shiny toy in the window. And they wanted to get in on it before they thought anyone else was going to get in on Gabranson, and they jumped first, and then realized afterwards that there weren't a lot of other suitors lined up to take it, and that the toy was used and had been returned a few times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and was maybe going to get you like ten to twelve points a year. Right? Yes. Like it's yeah, and it's you know again, and I understand um, for like this particular going into the season where they're like, I mean. If you're knocking on the door of the playoffs, Branson's probably a decent guy to have around because he's big and he can knock guys around. You can play him in the playoffs mm-hmm. and he has all that warrior nonsense that yeah. they love talking about. But for where they're at right now, like it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, he seems like one of those players that um, you could definitely like sell to another team, sure. right? Because it's like he's still not old, even though we know that just based on aging curves, he's probably not going to get much better from what he is at right I think right he's now, still but. cashing checks on being the third overall pick. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. the guys like that, yeah. I mean, obviously, like, you know, it's different because Goodbranson has actually shown that he can, like, stay in the league. But, like, sure. how many chances did Cam Barker get just because he was once a yeah, one of them Vancouver is yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like guys like that are all the time. Like, people are so hesitant to just admit that yeah. people just messed up or, thump, or things have changed and you need to recalibrate your expectations. And people keep trying to uncover yeah. these hidden gems. And, you know, for the right price, it's, a, you know, a worthwhile gamble maybe. But at the price he's going to cost, it's, it's tough. And I think it definitely is an indictment on uh, his abilities as a player that, like, he was sold as being this guy that, you know, fit this interesting dynamic with a guy like Ben Hutton where it's like he would be oh, more of a stay-at-home physical guy and then you'd let Hutton <laughs> free wheel and be more offensively it oriented. Was, it was the biggest, like, square peg round hole yes. thing ever because Gabranz is not that guy. Like, yeah. Gabranz is good at a couple of things, like beating the crap out of people's one. He's quite effective at that, right. actually. Yeah. And, uh, and, and guys like him in the room. Yeah, because he's kind of funny and he'll stand up for anyone. Like the, the thing that he did in Toronto this year was probably when he threatened to kill Matt Martin was probably the most like endearing thing that he did all year. Yes, and you know what? That stuff it resonates, but not nearly as much as like old school kind of like goon thinkers do. But right. it does resonate more than like people that dismiss it entirely because people do care about that. Right, like, it does. Right, and there's there's a happy medium between it. But the thing is is you can't pay a ton for it because there's a lot of guys that can go yes. and do that. There just really is, yeah. right? There's now, guys in the AHL that are... There are, totally, more than right? Than and there's guys in the AHL that are beloved by their teammates and they're yeah. good, greasy guys and, you know, yeah. Smither and Steiner and all those guys. Like, they're... And, yeah. they, you know, and, and those guys are great. They're around and you can find them. But that's the thing, is you can find them. And I, you know... I am I am deeply concerned about this this negotiation. I am. This is the one that's going to kind of define their summer. Yeah. Because it'll kind of give you a good indication of where Benning's head's at going in to next season. Yeah. Because if you double down on Gabranson, you're like, well, you know, with a couple small tweaks and a couple additions and all the good young guys we got, maybe we can push for eighth in the in the West, and that's. And then all of a sudden it's like Groundhog Day this year all over again, which I don't ever want to relive. Yes, so. yeah, that's the thing with a, with a rebuild. If you're going to do it properly, like you really got to stick to the plan, which is a good full circle for us because we started off talking about how to, as long as you have a plan, you, you do. Like that's like half the battle, and you yeah, like I, and you know I I will give 
this management group a little bit of credit for altering it midseason mm-hmm. and then executing it the way they have. But I still am not 100% convinced that this thing's going to be... I feel like there's like a lot of outside, and we talked about too many cooks in the in the yes. kitchen. I feel like there's a lot of outside influences that, that is part of the reason why the goalposts are always mm-hmm. moving. It's like, you know, they might be like, well, if this happens and if this happens, and you know, maybe you know, we 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 pull a decent deal in the off season, and maybe we make some moves at the draft, and you know, and at the end of the day, it's like you just need to go full hog on the in this thing and, and strip it down and rebuild. And I mean, like when you came on our show, we talked about the Louis Erickson thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's a perfect example to me. Like if I'm betting on that, I'm punting on that too. Yeah, and I'm saying, you know what, like the situation changed. Like and and again, I don't think it's a huge indictment of Erickson. Uh, I don't think his play has been mesmerizing this year, but it's certainly not horrible. It's right. just his strengths and what he's bringing to the table aren't very well utilized on a team that stinks. Like yes. He needs to be around better guys, probably needs to play with better line mates, and he could be a more valuable contributor somewhere else. It's not going to be here. Well, the, the interesting thing about a guy like Erickson is, you know, he was one of these players that for so long was like the poster boy for like the most underrated player in the league, whatever, whatever that means. Like people would always yeah. point to that. Like so underrated. He became overrated. So underrated. <laughs> and then the, the, the trick is like, once you start making $6 million a year or whatever, you stop being underrated. Well, that's exactly <laughs> it. Right. And now he's an albatross yes. really. And I feel genuinely bad because mm. I guarantee that this is not what he signed up for. Yeah. Like not in any way, shape or form. Like I'm sure he knew about the team. Yeah. I'm sure he knew that there was a ceiling about where they were going to be, but I fully expect that he thought that he was going to be with the Sedins for the majority, if not all, of the year. Um, that there wasn't going to be a fire sale of the deadline. And that, you know, year one into a six-year deal, I guarantee he didn't think it would be this bleak, yeah. the outlook of it, right? Yeah, and that he'd have, like, horrible shooting luck at the start of the year. And then right. everyone would kind of just turn on him. and Exactly, right? Everything that yeah. went wrong pretty much went wrong for him. Yeah, exactly. And this is the biggest payday of his career, yeah. right? I mean, and this is, like, something that he's earned having put forth, like, many good seasons, including his last year in Boston. And now it's, like, it, the, the first year could not have gone any worse. The, I, I don't know how you get out from under it. I mean, I've got a lot of different, like, crackhead theories on, like, yeah. what things you could do, hmm. but... The reality is, is like, it's just, it's one of those ones where it's like, you, you would be almost better served to be cut bait with it now. Yeah. If you could. Yeah. If you could. I mean, it's, it would have been interesting if they could like talk him into, uh, exposing himself for the expansion. Well, that's, that's one that I've thought of, right? It's like, you, you just put it on the table and be like, look, you can possibly be picked up by Vegas. Yeah. And, uh, at the, you know, it could give you a fresh start. You know, they they couldn't be in any worse shape than we're going to be in, mm. you know, they might be able to flip you cause they're going to have a ton of cap space and they're going to have a lot more maneuverability than we will. Yeah. And the other thing too, is it's like, you know, there's a pretty good chance, Louie, that they're not going to take you. And what it allows us to do is protect a guy like Gaunt's if we can. And so by, you know, nature of all this, you'd be helping out the organization. Then we could do something in return for you. Maybe we could flip. Vegas, a, a late round pick, say, please don't take Louis Erickson, mm. but we're going to protect him. I mean, those are options that they would have at their disposal that I think a, a smart team would do, right? Because there'd be no sense in losing a guy like Don, who I think is a very likely candidate to be going to Vegas, yeah. right? And there's no sense in losing him if you can avoid it. I mean, just, just you laying out that potential scenario, it got me so excited thinking about the expansion draft. And then you try, <laughs> and then you, and then you try to reconcile that with the fact that the league is considering not 
I releasing know, list, I know, and it's like, I know. what is happening? <laughs> well, okay, I understand the GMs don't want those lists published. Well, of course, I mean, I get if, that. they want people not to be able to evaluate whether the they did the right or wrong the thing. The craziest wrinkle that I've heard is that they were only going to let Vegas see the lists. Only Vegas. So everyone was going to submit their list, yeah. and then Vegas would have all the information. So it wouldn't go public, and it wouldn't go to the other 30 GMs as well. Now, I, I can't imagine that that's going to happen, but it's been something that's been floated so that they can keep all the information in-house. And look, they would, it would be so misguided and such a bad judgment call if they didn't make this stuff public and let people go nuts with their inner fantasy nerd, because this is what it's about. Well, when you put it that way as being misguided and the wrong decision, it makes me think that it's definitely going to happen. It's the <sighs> NHL we're talking about. I know. They have shown a little bit of, like, awareness that, like, to what, I mean, aside from, like, the, the, the cap geek and cap friendly stuff, they mm-hmm. have shown a little bit of awareness recently that, you know, got a, a better feel of the pulse of the fans. And at the end of the day, look, I honestly, they know that this stuff's getting out anyway. Like, how I give 48 hours before McKenzie and Friedman and LeBron and all those guys have these lists public anyway. Yep. Chris Johnson, your Sportsnet colleague, had mm-hmm. the must-protect list within, like, eight hours of it being out. Yes. Like, there's no way. And it's like, so it's like, are you really just going to make these guys dig to get the information? Like, why not just be transparent, right? And I think that's going to be the big argument when they bring it in front of the PA and when they bring it in front of the GMs is like, there's no way this stuff's going to get protected anyway, so you may as well put it all out there. Yeah, no, I'm with you 100%. Um, okay, a good way to wrap up this podcast is I thought it'd be an interesting discussion for us to have uh, because now that I've reached some low level of stature in this industry, people always <laughs> ask me, you know, how can I get my foot in the door and how can I do what you're doing? And I think you're a great person to have this discussion with because I consider you and your and your colleague Jason Bruff as – Two of the hockey <laughs> hockey blogging OGs, the, the, OG, the original gangsters. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you guys were doing stuff for the province, like where, like oh nine. We started the province in two thousand seven, ten years ago. So yeah. I'm not even giving you enough credit here. Yeah, it's, we started we started in 07, and then we left for a while, and then we came back, and then we started um, started at ten forty in two thousand nine, and then started at NBC in twenty eleven. So I've been at NBC for six years. Yeah. So I mean, like I started. Uh, during the playoff run in 2011, uh, when you know stuff was reaching the fever pitch here in Vancouver, and it's like I'm just obviously the landscape's changed quite a bit since you guys started. Yeah. It's getting much more. Uh, I, I feel like it's getting much more attainable, which probably like it must mm-hmm. be kind of like a notch in your in, in your or a feather in your cap. Just like think, looking back at like yeah. like <laughs> like at the time you guys got into the field, I feel like it was. Uh, it seemed like kind of like a distant like pipe dream. yeah like, like, it just, did it did like we well, can actually do this for money and pay our bills I know. Like, it was it's it was weird like we didn't we never had a plan we just kind of start actually we were both working at an online gambling company <laughs> and at lunch one day we we're like we should start doing like because we would always sit and talk about hockey really so we should do a canucks blog and we mm-hmm. didn't think anything of it uh, and then we just started writing and kept updating it because our job our office jobs were menial and terrible and Everything just kind of progressed because we just kept kind of like picking away at it. I think in terms of like now, the thing that we had going for us back then was it was really unique Mm because no one in this market especially was like trying to blog full time. Like we used to get like I'm old enough where I got like mom basement jokes (laughs) 
and they were relevant <laughs> yes. and they were like kind of still funny. Yeah, yeah. And it was and and you know and it was the same thing. We ran up against a lot of roadblocks in terms of getting credentialed and yeah. trying to get paid for the work. And people were like, are you guys taking this seriously? But now. You know, the accessibility is crazy to me. Like, there's so much that you can do. Um, and, and it, you know, I look at the guys that are doing Canucks Army, mm-hmm. and it's like the volume that's there. And I, do, I appreciate that their credo is always like, people are so thirsty for as much Canucks information as they can get that we're going to give it to them. Yep. And I think that's a great way to go about it. So it's like, yeah, write profiles on guys that are playing in Utica. You know, follow these guys that are playing junior. Like, take it as far down as you can because you're outworking a guy above you, right? Like, it's it's just the inevitability of it is that guys that have been in the industry for a long time aren't necessarily there for the grind, right? Yeah. Like, they're older. They've kind of gotten comfortable. And to be quite honest, they grinded their way up to where they're at. They're not wanting to do it anymore, right? But yeah. They're such – I mean – there's such a a market and a thirst for it, and there's so much more available at your fingertips, right? Like, you know, I I, I remember it was a nightmare when we were doing the original curtain block stuff to try and get any access or availability, talk to anyone. Like, we, you know, it was mostly creative writing. That's right. what we did. Now, I mean, like the Canucks Army guys wield as big of a stick as a lot of people in the a yeah. lot of writers in this town, right? Yeah. So they can talk to people, they can go, you can do a lot of different things, and that's. Kind of what it comes down to now is like how deep a dive are you willing to take and how big a grind are you willing to undergo? Because that's how you're going to make it. And it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. It, especially at the start. Like, I mean, we we were doing the – so we were doing articles in the paper. We were running the blog and then we were doing the radio show at night. Mm-hmm. And that was like every non-Canucks night. We'd go on from 10 to midnight. Like no money. Like yes. so poor. Yeah. And you got to like, get your reps in. Sorry? You got to get your You do, in. yeah. And my wife was pregnant at the time, and I was, like, out to, like, all hours, and I'd be coming home, mm. and it was, like, it was just going on and on and on. But, like, I kind of saw a light at the end of the tunnel. I also knew that we had gotten a really good opportunity doing the radio stuff. Like, it wasn't something that they were just handing out like candy. Like, we were able to go out there and talk and work on a craft and, at the same time, grow an audience. So we just jumped at it, right? So well, that, that's a big one. At what point do you think this stuff really like turned the corner and kind of became uh what it is now like more mainstream and more people getting into it because i feel like even when i got into it it like sort of spring 2011 it was still like there weren't that many people blogging about hockey i know hockey doesn't seem like a long time ago but hockey's an interesting one because like everything's kind of come about the last 10 or 15 years right like uh, the statistical lean, obviously, like hockey was pretty late to the game compared mm-hmm. to some of the other ones. Like there was well-established baseball and basketball stats guys, like well in advances, which you know, obviously. Yep. Um, and then just in terms of like blogging on an everyday basis and bringing some color to it, like hockey's a pretty like watered down sport personality wise, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I remember like when Jason and I first started, we used to read Bill Simmons like religiously, right? Mm-hmm. And you got to remember when Simmons was first going, when he first started at ESPN in like 06 or whenever it was, he was churning out like book length blog posts and like hilarious stuff, right? And just like these like really entertaining, like personality driven takes on stuff. And we were like, we want to do that, right? Yeah. And, that's, and that's something that it still hasn't really necessarily like fully taken off because hockey's it just doesn't it doesn't lend itself that great to it. Like the NBA is perfect 
feeding ground for that, right? Like right. there's so many personalities, there's so many whack jobs and there's so many like awesome narratives that you can follow. Yep. Hockey's a little bit more watered down. So you kind of have to bring the personality yourself and that can be tough. Well, especially like what, with what you guys are doing now, because, um, you know, you were, you're mentioning when you guys started off doing your stuff, like you could kind of just have fun with it and be more and more creative. I feel like now you guys are doing a lot of like hits on like transaction news or like yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, how do you, I, I imagine like you guys are both like creative, funny guys. Like you, you, you it must be. Well, that's why we got the radio show back. Honestly, yeah. like, we, cause it, look, when we got in at NBC, we knew that it was going to be like a big, like significant narrative shift and like a cultural shift for us. Cause yes. like, we were like the guys that like liked our drink and like going to sporting events and like we liked having a good time and like having a laugh, right? And that just wasn't mm-hmm. in the cards there. At the same time, the opportunity was off the charts. When we came on board, it was when they NBC had picked up the NHL rights for ten years, right? I mean, yeah. like you just don't pass off an, an opportunity like it. Like it was it was huge, and and then you had the lockout, and yeah, and then we had the lockout <laughs> the year after, and everything went downhill for them. <laughs> yeah. But no, like it was so we there was a good four or five year window there where it was like the personality stuff just got drained entirely. Yeah. Like and it's tough because it's like you just kind of become a different writer and your personality takes a different lean and everything. So it was important to get back to doing the radio stuff where we could be like, let's kind of get back to what we liked doing. And then it was just like balancing different platforms, right? It's like, we've got this Monday to Friday that, you know, we kind of take a more serious slant and we follow the quote unquote pro sports talk look Mm. at things. And then on the weekends we can sit around and drink beer and talk about hockey on the radio. So, I mean, this might be a bit of an awkward, uh, discussion just because you are technically like on the radio although you guys do like post your stuff online and stuff and you can see it later but like the i mean we're doing a podcast right now and podcasts are obviously like everyone has their Mm -hmm. own podcast at this point um do you think that like sports talk radio is still gonna exist in 10 years yeah like the radio's funny man because there's so many people that are like preset to it like and this is just from the technical standpoint like uh people listening in cars people listening on work sites like i just don't see that fundamentally changing a whole heck of a lot like it's very entrenched right especially the the am and pm drives home right people are just dialed into their radios right now like the advent of satellite radio is probably it's it's dug into it a bit uh you know there's more and more people that are you know downloading podcasts and listening to that on the drive home as opposed to being tuned in but the reality of it is is there's still dial flippers just by nature and we see it all the time too right it's like and especially with news is vitally important mm-hmm. like if you're like because i guess 1040 is kind of a news day. i mean we you do new there's news updates and people right. to be like i want to know what's happening in the game tonight right right uh it's it's going to be difficult it is going to be difficult because anytime people can tailor their listening habits like they're going to do it right yeah. so it's like if i'm going to the gym and i'm going to work out for an hour like i'm probably not going to fire it on a station that's going to be interrupted by commercials every five minutes. I'm just going to have some continuous streaming listening or I'll listen to music. That'll be completely. So in that regard, I could see it being a problem, but I, you know, in the interim, I I think there's enough of an appetite for it. And it's also very much tied to like live rights, right? Of course the, the Canucks radio rights and everything. Yeah. So that, that's a big part of it too. Right. Cause that people do shockingly, there's a, there's a big listenership for it. Yeah. Yeah. There is. There is. Um, so I mean, you guys only do two hours a week now on the radio. Yeah. But like, see, that's 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 a thing because like, I'm always kind of equally impressed and always like just confused by the people that like do 
radio every day for like hours it's at tough. a time because like I'd love to do this podcast on a daily basis, but I feel like I would just constantly be repeating myself and really watering down the product because there's like only so much one person can say creatively before you're oh, just going sure. back to the well over and over again. And it's like these people that do it on a daily basis, like obviously the content probably isn't as high quality because the person literally has to repeat themselves like 50 times over the course of a we've, week. We've done like a week filling in for one of the four hour shows. Yeah. And it, by the end of the week, you're <laughs> like, I can't believe I've never talked this much yeah. in a five day period before. Like it is crazy. And you're right. It's like a lot of the time it's, wash, rinse, repeat. And you yeah. kind of have to go over that. And it's tough, like, unless you're doing a ton of prep work. Yeah. And at that point, it becomes a really labor-intensive job because you've got to do, like, an hour of prep for an hour of radio. So you're looking at minimum eight hours. You go home, you decompress, and then you're right back at it talking. Now, some people will say, what are you complaining about? You're sitting around talking about sports all yeah. day. It's not True, that. Fair. Yeah, and yeah, which is totally fair. <laughs> it's more just about the radio... It's like, I think people sometimes forget that it's like very oratory. Like you have to have like a sense of what the ear likes. And that comes down to simple things like how guys' voices sound, their cadence, their ability to talk. And you need to implement all of that, right? So like if you're mailing it in one day or if you're flat, like it's going to resonate, right? right? And it's not going to sound terrific. And then the other thing with content, especially, and it goes back to being in Vancouver, you are whittled down, man. You do not have a lot to talk about. You know what I mean? Like... I could not have gone on this morning and done um, any one of the morning shows on 1040 and talked about all the March Madness that I watched over the weekend. Right. Like, there's no chance. No one wants to hear how I stayed up a little bit later than usual. Do you want to talk, you want to talk about it right now? Yeah, right? yeah. I feel like, I feel like yeah, you're yeah, sending yeah, me like, yeah. some not so subtle signals here. <laughs> like, no one, no one wants to hear about my thoughts on Lonzo Ball. Yes. It just... And... You know, if you go south of the border, that's what a lot of people are talking about today. But the market dictates that you've got to kind of keep it boiled right. down to it. You really got to cater it to your audience. And it's tough because yeah. you've got to fill a lot of time during the day, man, which right. is why their motto is a lot. It's like pregame all day. Like, that's what it is, yes. right? Like, as soon as you wake up, you're talking about the pregame. <laughs> um, all right. Plug some stuff. Where can people uh, Where can people find you online? Where you check out your Yeah, work? Pro Hockey Talk at NBCSports.com. That's my, uh, that, that's, our, that's our baby. That's what Jason I have really grown all the how, way. How many, how many posts are you doing a day? Oh man, uh, I, I think I averaged it out that I'm doing about between five and six thousand words of copy a day. Like it's just yeah, it's an obscene amount. It's very good. Animal, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of stuff. We tried to whittle it down. A little yeah, bit. there's some days that get crazy. Yeah, Pro Hockey Talk at NBCSports.com at Halford PhD, and then Curtain Blog Radio every Saturday three to five on the Mighty. TSN 1040. I recommend checking all that out, and uh, thanks for coming by and chatting. Thanks, buddy. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. <laughs>